I really uh, enjoy the week after Resurrection Sunday. It's one of my favorites, I think, because the world feels new. The skies seem clearer, though a little gloomy. I, I love it. it um, but there's this calmness. There's this relief. Because we've just celebrated the biggest thing that we could celebrate. That Jesus Christ is risen indeed. That death has been defeated. Our sins have been forgiven. We have been made new. We can have a relationship with the one true Savior. And that he's promised us that he will come again. And that in itself I say hallelujah. And church, I'm coming in here and I, I, I recognize that in the past few weeks, you have witnessed the receiving of new members, the baptism of a, a youth student, the confession and affirmation of faith of another student, and you've rejoiced together the living hope, which is Jesus Christ. And again, I say hallelujah, because we praise God for that, because that's all him. That's what he's been doing, and that's what he's allowed us to witness. And as notable as that is in itself, I bring it up because um, as I was praying and thinking, like, what do I share today? What do I talk about? I kept getting drawn to the book of Acts. It almost seemed natural. You know, we just celebrated the resurrection, so it's Acts. Um, but I think with all of that, it was just continuous. I was like, okay, Acts. It picks up from the resurrection of Christ. It starts with his ascension. And Jesus has promised the Holy Spirit and has told the apostles that they would be his witnesses to the end of the earth. We then see this formation and this growth of the early church. There's this fellowship of believers, and they were praising God. They had everything in common. They were witnessing signs and wonders. They were breaking bread, and they were continuously receiving new members. And I don't mean just pew fillers, like to take up space or anything like that. They were members, people that would profess the same belief in Jesus Christ. They would profess that he is Lord and Savior, that he did die, but he rose again, and that he calls us together to study his word, to commune, to serve one another, and to go out and serve others, making him known. And then we do that all again. And Luke writes this in Acts. He says, More than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So this fellowship of believers, it was growing. That's exciting. But you and I both know with growth, there are challenges. We may have a tendency, I know I, I definitely have had that tendency, to idealize the early church. We romanticize it. But even the early church had problems, had challenges. Not only was there persecution that they were facing from outside forces, but they were experiencing issues from within the community. Acts 5 spends a good time going over the lying, the greed, the false display of hope, from Ananias and Sapphira. Acts 8 shows us Simon the magician, he was trying to actually purchase Holy Spirit power. I don't know how you do that. 
Acts 19 tells us of how there were believers that had to repent from black magic and from worshiping lowercase gods. The early church was not blemish-free. And this brings me back to our text for today. And maybe we didn't catch it in Acts 6, 1 through 7, because the text is sandwiched between two verses of increasing and multiplying. And so maybe we don't see it as obviously as those other texts I just mentioned. But when there's a complaint within the church, that means that there's a disharmony that needs to be addressed. So immediately we see in this chapter, we read about this complaint by the Hellenists. They're Greek-speaking Jews. And it said that they were complaining against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And we may want to quickly go by this verse and then read, like, how did they respond? What did they do? But there's something to note about um, the Hellenists, that they didn't just suddenly decide to be Greek-speaking. Um, they had been living outside of Jerusalem for quite some time, and it could be perhaps due to the previous exiles. So they um, started to learn and adapt to the Greek language for commerce, for trade, um, for things like that. And now they're back, and they're a part of this fellowship of believers worshiping Jesus Christ. And we see later in verse 9, which we won't go too much into, but they were probably worshiping in a different synagogue due to language. So when we read of this complaint arising, uh, the Hellenists may have felt more than simply being overlooked, but overlooked intentionally. And just for a moment, think about if that happened today, you know, excluding a certain people group. This is something definitely the apostles needed to address, and it needed a response. So in verse 2, we see how they did respond. And they said that they're too busy preaching the word of God, that they can't go and serve tables. So an initial reaction to this verse might be, what? You're too busy? Doesn't James 1.27 tell us to care for the orphans and the widows? And these are the Hellenists, the Greek-speaking Jews. Like, the more we shouldn't treat them differently and neglect them, what are you saying? Why are you acting so high and mighty? But we have to realize that this isn't arrogance and that this is actually a devoted response to the good news of Jesus Christ. The apostles are acknowledging and displaying for others that without the gospel, the ministry would not continue. Also, side note, they weren't intentionally neglecting the widows. In the chapter, it says in, in these days, they were increasing, right, increasing in number. And then we hear it's multitudes. So imagine there are so many verses of this in Acts that the church is just booming. They weren't intentionally forgetting for these 12 apostles to address all the needs of everybody, that's a tall order. But it's good that they addressed it. So what do they do? Verses 3 through 4, it says, Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. 
The apostles just pulled the most necessary leadership move that often gets overlooked. They delegated. They knew what their own calls were. And they knew that it was what God had equipped them with and appointed specifically for them. So why would they stop doing it to do something that other people could do? They were using wisdom and they were empowering others within the church. And we see the response in verse 5. They say, it says, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. So those gathered were also using their wisdom And we see this in their selecting primarily Greek-speaking believers. And we can tell that they're Greek-speaking because of um, other scripture references and the names that were used. So they were using their wisdom too. The apostles then laid hands on them, prayed over them, and we read that the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And these priests, by the way, we see them in chapter 4. And they were the ones that were very annoyed with the proclamation of Christ. Isn't it amazing how God works that we then read that they have joined this group of believers, that they were obedient to the faith? So what can we learn from these seven verses? There's something that we definitely can learn from this if we haven't already. And I appreciate, there's a pastor named Tony Merida. Um, He's a pastor, writer. And he puts it this way. The early church harmonized and they helped. So what can we learn from today? We can harmonize and we can help. Firstly, the early church harmonized in that they were usually on the same page. And if they weren't, as we saw, they addressed it just as the apostles did. They appointed other people to fill that which was neglected. The priority was always that the church was gospel-driven. Was there prayer happening? You know, this alignment with the Lord? Was there preaching happening? A proclamation, a proclaiming of the gospel? Were they studying scripture? Were they knowing Christ and making him known? They were discerning this and harmonizing, working together making sure they're on the same page. And we as a church need to do that. We need to make sure that we are on the same page because so many times we can come in and think, you know, I've got all the answers. I know how to fix every single problem that's been here. I've been around for so long. I've seen so many other church communities. I know how to fix this. And we forget, we don't realize we're not harmonizing. We're not working together And we need to ask, are we harmonizing, joining in on what God is already doing here? Not just what we think is supposed to work and supposed to happen next. Is the timing checking out? Is it in line with scripture? That's a big one. And does the leadership agree? And I want to touch upon that for a second, because I don't know how that lands. Whenever we talk about leadership, I'm not sure however that's processed. Um, But just to clarify a little bit, this church is a PCUSA church, right? This is our denomination. We function with a session board made of elders, and they are, this is based off of scripture, by the way. And of course, Christ is the head of the church. So we don't forget that. We don't ever overstep God and his word. 
Christ is the head of the church. So following Christ's leading, the elders are called to gather, to pray, to discern, and to measure faithfulness to the word of God. And this is to strengthen and mature in faith. So the elders also aren't meant to function in a power-hungry way or unwisely, but they help in discerning. Is this harmonious with what Christ is doing here already at CPCLM? So that's just a little side note. That's why I asked, does it agree with what with the leaders too? So for us individually, we need to ask, are we really harmonizing with the mission and the vision of this church? Or are we grumbling? Are we gossiping? Are we complaining and creating a disharmony? Are we preaching Jesus Christ? Or are we just pushing programs and activity? Are we actively praying and studying God's word, both on our own and with one another? Are we a part of life groups and actually doing life together, being church? Or are we trying to figure out everything on our own with our own knowledge and our feelings? This leads me to my second point, that we must help. We must work together. It's not enough to simply be on the same page. Because maybe you're hearing, harmonize, oh yeah, I'm agreeable. I mean, that's why I'm a member here. Like, I agree with everything. That's one thing. But we have to help. Maybe we falsely believe that our attendance and our occasional participation here is enough to be in harmony. We may falsely believe that as long as I've got a title slapped on, whether I'm a teacher, a choir member, praise team member, even an elder or deacon, as long as I've got that, that's enough to be in harmony with this church. Or, more commonly, we may think it's enough for us to just say encouraging things to the people that are doing the work and just let them do the work. And then they keep serving, the small group keeps serving, serving to the point of burnout. And we think, well, no, I'm helping, though, because at least I didn't get in their way. At least I didn't complain. And then we think that we're in harmony with the church. We must go beyond agreeable thinking. We don't merely turn to those already serving and expect them to do more because the church is growing. We have to share the load. And we have to do what we can do best that others aren't capable of or equipped to do. Just as we saw in Acts 6, the apostles couldn't be expected to leave the work that they were specifically and uniquely called to do just to do something else that others could be very well equipped and capable of doing. So for us, why should we expect others to juggle everything? On the other side of that, we don't want to pick up so much more and more and more ourselves because we feel bad, like we're not doing anything, and then we try to be the hero. That's, Jesus is the hero, right? We can't do everything. 
So what I'm trying to emphasize here is that we have each been given unique gifts and unique callings, and we need to discover them. Maybe you're unsure, you don't know. Well, practice serving. As you practice serving, you start to eliminate some things and go, I'm not as good as that person over there. I could probably be better of use and service in this area. So we need to practice participation. We need to practice helping. And this goes also outside of just serving of what makes us feel good, right? Out of our own pleasure. And then not staying to help to do the things that we think are so small, like cleaning up or coming early to set up. And those things are huge. Those are ways that we can help. We need to seek to help, to serve one another and to serve others. And as we harmonize, we begin to understand more of what needs to be done. And as we help, we realize more of just how we can join in on what's already being done in this community. And I love how another pastor put it. He said that uh, being a member of a church doesn't mean I go here and listen to sermons. That's not membership. Being a member of a church means I serve here. So maybe you hear this often, um, or maybe rarely, I don't know, but someone may come up to you and not ask, what church do you go to? They ask, where do you serve? Because regardless of title or position, we're all called to serve, to help. So as we are members of this church, as we are a part of this worshiping community and attend here, we don't just sit and listen, we serve, we help. We harmonize and we help. As this church grows numerically and spiritually, we need to recognize that this is out of the grace, mercy, and faithfulness of Jesus Christ. We must respond together in harmony and serve. This is our responding together. Why? Because the gospel, the good news, requires a response. We can't simply just hear it and then do nothing. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus Christ, God, humbled himself and he took our place on the cross so that we may be forgiven of our sins and reconciled with God so that we can have an intimate, real relationship with Jesus Christ that doesn't only happen here on Sundays or only in life group or only in church activities. It's every day, every moment. How amazing is that? We can have life everlasting with him. How do we not respond to that together? So I've talked about harmonizing, I've talked about helping. Let me give you a final H, there's hope. That is the good news. That is the gospel. Our living hope, Jesus Christ, and his saving grace requires us to respond, church. May we do so in growing in him, knowing him, participating in this community through harmonizing and helping and making him known to those around us.
Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you and we thank you. We thank you for who you are, that you are a faithful God, that even from the early church to now, Lord, we are blemished, we, we fail, we mess up, but Lord, you still love us and you still give us hope and you give us this opportunity to join you in what you are doing, Lord. And things that we could have never imagined witnessing, you've allowed us to do so. So God, as we continue to worship, would you help us to really respond together in not just word, but also in deed? Lord, would you help us to clarify anything that it is that you may be uniquely pointing out to us? that we may need to repent from, to turn away from, Lord, and to turn back to you? Would you help us as a church to know how to harmonize together and with you? And Lord, would you ignite in us a passion for you that can never die, Lord, so that we respond in our service to you, to one another, and to others. God, we pray for clarity. We pray for wisdom. And we thank you so much that you've given us your word, that you've given us freedom, that you've given us hope. We thank you, Jesus. We love you. And all of this we pray in your holy name. Amen.